You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. This is the X-Man Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Guys, I'm, I'm sitting at home. I'm at home right now. Been on the road for a month, and what a month it was. I have to say, I'm glad to be home. I'm not one of these motherfuckers who does not believe in rest, you know, rise and grind 24-7. Nah, nah. I Doc Cole's not trying to work 24-7, all right? I want to, you know, it's like that line from... Uh, role models, you know, I like to rock and roll all night, part of every day, you know, I'm not trying to do all this crazy stuff, but, um, no, I am actually enjoying some, some, some time off the, the road has a way of, of grinding you down. And so, you know, you have to take your time to, to, to decompress. I think the, probably the hardest thing about tour is just sharing space with a few people, you know, however many people you have out with you. And you just you're just on top of each other all the time. And I think it has this low level way of just turning the screws a little bit. So it's good to just kind of get away. But uh yeah, the tour was incredible. We did two weeks at the end with Shine Down, Five Finger Death Punch, and Star Set. And we were doing arenas. I mean and these were sold out, man. This it was pretty nuts. And I have to say, you know, you get kind of used to it. You're like, yeah, I'm playing arena today. It's cool, no problem. Not nervous, and and I, and I wasn't. It was, and the and the band went over really well. I have to give huge thanks to both of those bands, and that you know that kind of leads into the to the guests I'm going to have on. I have Chris Kale on the show, the bass player from Five Finger Death Punch, and I was actually having a tough time getting interviews done because we were having problems with our tour bus. We were in a van. It was just difficult to find the time, and right at the last few days. I grabbed a few interviews, which is, like I said, kind of the benefit of being able to be on tour and just be in different places. Obviously, I have the bands I'm on tour with, and I can talk to them. I actually spoke to Dustin from Starset uh, about doing the show. We didn't get around to it, but he's going to come out to our headline show, Bad Wolves headline show in Columbus coming up. So hopefully we'll get that done. They were really cool. And... uh you know, one thing I should probably just announce real quick, the band Bad Wolves, we just got our first week sales numbers and we sold just under 20,000 copies of, of, of the record and landed at number 22 on the Billboard chart, which is absolutely insane. Uh, that number, that's actually including the streams because now they, they count streams to the total amount, I guess. If you were just talking physical albums and, and digital downloads, we sold around 15,000, which is still pretty damn insane so uh to, to you know to say we are we are happy or and, and surprised and and overwhelmed you know is, is definitely to say the least but um definitely we are we are in a blessed position and for some reason you know people are really taking a liking to the band and i just uh i just want to say thank you thank you to everyone who picked up the record 
thank you to everyone who reaches out to us and, and says kind things. It's interesting. I hear a lot of people say, oh, man, there's a lot of haters out there. To be truthful, I, I don't hear from most of the haters, uh, thankfully. And even if I did, I actually don't have a problem with negative a ne- negative review or negative press or someone doesn't like something. I, I don't really – I don't get that whole I'm mad at you if you don't like my thing. <laughs> I just don't, It doesn't make sense to me. I'm just like, well – there's a lot of things I don't like. You know, someone shouldn't be mad at me about it or upset with me. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Which actually brings me to a a, a little point I wanted to bring up or something I was I was thinking about because I think something came up with the with the president. Hate to get political, guys, but uh, just I'm, this isn't really about being political. But it, but this is just why it, it came up. But uh, talking about MS13. The, the gangs, you know, the, the dangerous, violent gangs. And um, and I was like, trying to explain to someone, I was like, well, I never, you're telling me there are these terrible people, and I'm sure they are. I'm like, but I never hear about it, right? So the spheres in which I get news or get whatever, I'm not hearing about the dangerous MS-13 people raping and murdering and cutting people's heads off. And I'm sure they're doing it. I'm sure, and I'm sure that's terrible and they're terrible people. But it it kind of brought this idea to me that what we tend to do is seek out the stuff we don't like so that it intentionally, I guess, pisses us off or puts us in a in, in a state. So I, I give an example. There's 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 someone on I'm friends with on on Twitter, not gonna name names. <laughs> uh you know, who will there are just like feminism is cancer. And these people on the college campuses need to stop doing all the stuff. And I'm thinking, where are the the crazy feminists on Twitter? Because I don't see them saying all the crazy, but they'll like they'll quote tweet some crazy person who said some something stupid, you know, that, you know, men should all be have their dicks cut off or something, something stupid like that. And I'm like, you must be looking for this stuff. Because I don't see it. I don't see the crazy feminazis doing crazy. And I'm not saying they're not doing it, but I'm saying it 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 almost, it almost seems like people go out of their way to to find this stuff to get upset about. So if let's say you're someone who is really worried about racism, right? So maybe you might go out of your way to find the a video of some black people being discriminated against, or or like usually this is like a common thing you'll find like on. Huffington Post, it'll be like, white dude goes on racist spiel, right? And someone will catch it on camera. And it's just some guy on like a bus or something calling, dropping N-bombs and calling people monkeys or something. And they're like, you see, this is how it really is. The racism doesn't go away. And it's true, right? Right? Like, okay, so that, I'm sure that happens, right? And it's and it's disgusting and we, we're, we all hate it. But if that's the type of thing that reaffirms your worldview that racism is pervasive, then you maybe you might actually look for those things and be more aware of it. And 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 vice versa, you know, if you're you're worried about these kids on college campuses, they're deplatforming, they're shutting down free speech, they're Antifa. And I'm like, I don't even remember the last time I stepped on a college campus, which speaks to my um I guess lack of education, unfortunately. But <laughs> you would think if you if you looked at Twitter or, or went on like the 
you know, listen, listen to Rogan's podcast or Jordan Peterson or Ben Shapiro, some of these guys, you would think all they do is spend their time at college campuses and, you know, and they're just getting, uh, you know, beat down by uh, people <laughs> wearing Che Guevara t-shirts. <laughs> and I'm just like, I-, I get it. I'm sure they're, you know, the kids are, are, are running amok on the, on these campuses. But I, here's the thing, you know, who's not at college me and, Unless you're in college, you probably aren't either. So that means you're relying on someone else to give you an account of the reality on the ground. And I, I don't know. I'm just really fascinated about this idea of trying to figure out the reality of a situation in the aggregate, right? In the big picture. Because we can all find one instance or maybe a series of instances that reaffirm something we already believe. But is that... But if I, So if I could find... 10 videos of the cops beating down somebody right now that 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 is some evidence right it you know but does that mean all the cops are beating people down maybe maybe not it's hard to say and uh i don't know i i I think i'm just more in this realm of some things are kind of unknowable to an accurate version of what reality is but i think people are kind of deciding or or maybe you know, going down avenues, you know, so if I, if all I do is watch Fox News and Breitbart and Drudge Report, I'm going to hear a lot about MS-13. I mean, that's pretty, I'm, that's basically, as far as I'm concerned, that's going to be the number one shit coming at me. And I'm going to be worried. I'm, you know, looking at my toilets, that MS-13? Where are they? What, you hear that? MS-13 coming for me. You know, and one day it's ISIS coming for you. Next day it's MS-13. And it's whatever, whatever your, your boogeyman is. You know, I'm sure you go on, uh, you know, Huffington Post or something is going to be, yo, man, climate change coming for you, the cl- climate change monster, you know, and then there's like a giant flood or <laughs> California's on fire. So maybe he really is coming for you. Or I don't know. And maybe that's, see, that's my bias coming in and uh, reaffirming something that maybe I already believe. So it's, it's, it's tough. So this long spiel is basically to say, don't go out of your way to seek the thing um, that you don't like, you know, that is a really kind of toxic relationship. And I think we're all, or many of us are kind of guilty of that. So let's do our best to avoid that. My little tip of the day, Whew, that's exhausting. So I'm going to get into this week's show sponsor. We have a band, they are called still fire and they're self-described organic heavy rock band and they are based out of the San Francisco Bay Area. And I'm going to play a song called The Wake, and this is from their debut EP entitled Too Far To Reach. Check it out.
from a band called Stillfire, and that's from their debut EP entitled Too Far to Reach. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Good to get some just some straight up hard rock on the show. You can check them out on Spotify, iTunes, and anywhere where music is streamed or sold. If you want to check out information on the band, shows, news, all things Stillfire, please go to stillfiremusic.com, and all their social media is at Still fire. If you are interested in sponsoring the X-Man podcast, please hit me up at the X-Man podcast at gmail.com. Remember, that's EX, or you can drop me a message on social media. And we do have slots available now. Um, I was booked up for a minute, but I've recorded some new interviews. And yeah, man, we, you know we're here to expose your band. And please check out Still Fire, any band that sponsors the show. Um, luckily, I'm glad... I'm glad I have some good bands actually sponsor the show. We don't have crappy bands, and that's very helpful. Um, but real quick, let's also got to shout out our other show sponsor, and that is Rockabilia.com. They are the ones keeping the lights on over here. Um, we have an exclusive Bad Wolves t-shirt design over at Rockabilia.com. It's the only place you can get this particular design. I'm not going to give away what it is, but Rockabilia has... Half a million items. These are authentically licensed items from the band. Do not go and buy that crappy bootleg stuff. Um, they are there for you guys to get band merch. They have pop culture stuff. They have movie merchandise. They have pretty much it all. So go over there and drop our discount code PC Jabberjaw and you'll get yourself 15% off. And with that business out of the way, I will give a little intro to our guest, uh, Mr. Chris Kale is the bass player from Five Finger Death Punch, one of the biggest bands in the world. He is also probably, he's probably known as one of the nicest guys in metal. Just a just a real, you know, just one, just one of those guys. You, you meet him five minutes and you're already love him. And he's always been cool to me pretty much from day one. And I thought his story would be fascinating because he's the, he's been in the band the least amount of time. And so in a way, you know, I, I won't say he has the most X-Man type story uh, of Five Finger Death Punch, but his story within that band is definitely extremely unique. And some of it I didn't really know. So I thought this was a good platform to kind of get into that. So I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy this. You know Five Finger Death Punch. They're massive. Chris Kale is the man. So check out the, my interview with my homeboy, Chris Kale. Say something, sir. Really? You gonna, you gonna do me like that? You gonna do I'm me like that? I'm trying to get you. So you can't. You can't. I'm a. I'm an old. I'm an old uh, expert at this stuff, man. You can't get me. I'm a veteran. You got it. <laughs> I'm no. Literally, I think I'm. This is like 60 episodes in. Nice. Look at you. That's Who right. was the first one? Mr. John Berklin. Oh, okay. There we go. From my band. Look, look how that worked out. Listen, mm -hmm. it. I you, was. Wait. I was playing with the band that at the time, but it was called Eye of Tongues back then. Okay. You know, we were talking about it, but yeah. he was basically my best friend when I moved to L.A. And, uh, and I was like, I want my first show to be with you, man. Because <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're, we're in the back lounge, you know, of a tour bus. You know, I feel, you know, like a big like I'm big time now that I have a, a working tour bus. And, um, you know, we've been on this tour with Five Finger Death Punch and Shinedown and Starset. And I realized I haven't got any interviews from any of the bands on the tour. Yeah. You know. 
And you know, par- partially it's not my fault. All right, no bus has been breaking down. <laughs> yeah, you we're, guys have been having some quality struggles with that, huh? We're showing up five minutes before the set. You was your all the one that uh, the 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 whole panel fell off the bus, or was that us? I don't think a panel. What didn't some happen to Zoe's bus, right? No, not that one. It had to be the one with the uh, the the wrapped bus, because I think a full door from the yeah. from the bay fell off. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what happened. But the point is, yeah. I had to speak to someone. Yes. Okay. Because then I would have felt like I'd wasted an opportunity. True. And um, you and, and Zach I, Myers wasn't available, so you went right to number two. Well, listen, I, you know, I went. Why? Well, literally, I went through every member of the band. It was like denied, denied. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we will give you Kale. Yes, they, exactly. They'd offer you up as a sacrifice, yeah. and I was like, I will take him. He's a hunk of man. Yeah. I will enjoy this. <laughs> <laughs> so, how you doing, brother? I'm good, man. Yeah, like you said, been out here for couple of weeks now i think we've been playing on this run since our first show in phoenix it's probably been about a month ago i guess since we got back into the swing of the live thing so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it now yeah right on well you know you guys have essentially attached us at, at, at your booty hole you know um sorry we're like that. going in or coming out listen here's the thing it ain't going anywhere anytime soon right you know, oh, unless, yeah. unless i say the wrong thing they're like you know get these guys the fuck out of here we're sick of doc's shiny bald ass head nah it's gonna be kyle kyle's gonna be the one who runs his damn mouth too much oh, oh. he's you know, always he, he's he does, always so quiet he does say some things I don't does know. he i need to get you know, every now and again he's like he looks nice Mm-hmm. But then he'll say something inappropriate. Like, what's wrong with Same that as me. I look like a really nice guy. You've never said anything in- inappropriate to me, thankfully. Yeah. You know? you, or, just, or maybe... just hang out on the bus with me and Jeremy. Okay. That's, that's where the filth comes out. Well, I know. I, I follow <laughs> Jeremy on Instagram, and he's yeah. the king of the mm-hmm. offensive uh, Instagram. Yeah. Imagine that with no filter. Okay. <laughs> that's, okay. that's him and I on the bus. It's like uh, Andrew Dice Clay set or something. It's Andrew that? Dice Clay without a filter. <laughs> without a filter? <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Jesus <laughs> there, Christ. There, are, there is nothing sacred. Uh, and with uh, a beyond reproach in the bus with me and Jeremy and it's, it's, it's terrible. It sounds like it. But but no, you were someone that's been on my mind uh, for the show for a long time. Glad you clarified for the show. Well, yes. No, no for for not just on your mind. Well, <laughs> no, but this this show has a very particular theme mm-hmm. and, you know, gentlemen like like yourself, you know, who whose path to success, mm-hmm. you know, is you know, I, I would say a little different than, oh, yeah. than, than than a lot of other of, of other people because I toured with Five Finger Death Punch when they had the old bass player Matt. Yep. You know, um, and so you joined the band when exactly? I want to say 2010. It was at the end of the recording of American Capitalist. Okay. I was in the Which studio. Which is the third record. Third record, exactly. We had uh, Way of the Fist, um, War is the Answer, and then American Capitalist. Uh, they had been looking for a bass player for a little bit at that point. They, I, I, when I first heard that they were looking for a bass player, I didn't realize that they were gonna finish up the recording of American Capitalist. Now, did you know them? I, actually, a good friend of mine. Do you know Saul Englehart? Sounds familiar, but I'm he's, not totally He's sure. a tech that's been around for, for years. He lives in Vegas now, but I grew up with him back in Kentucky, and uh, he was Jeremy's drum tech. Is Jeremy from Kentucky? No, Jeremy's from Evansville, right okay. where we are right now. Oh, we are in his snap. hometown right now. So he's, I think is he's his, got a is his guest entire list of about family? 70 people in there today. Okay. Yeah. So I hope you made him pay for that. Don't give him that on the house. Make, take that out of his cut. <laughs> All right. That's any, any sort of thing like that is out of my pay scale. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in here for a while, but I'm still a new guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Saul was working for Jeremy as his drum tech. I had heard through um, Adrian Patrick of Otherwise that... Uh, Shout out to Otherwise. Yes, there we go. Good friends of mine. I almost played with Otherwise before I joined Death Punch, but we'll get into that They're as in Vegas, well. right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. 
Um, so Adrian had messaged me. He's like, hey, man, Death Punch is looking for a bass player. I think you would be perfect for it. So I immediately messaged Saul, my friend for 20 years at that point. I said, hey, man, like, I know Jeremy's looking for a, 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 a bass player now. Death Punch is looking for a bass player. Get me a foot in the door. And literally, like, the the change in guard had happened just hours before, and no one was supposed to know. So Saul's like, wait a minute, how, how'd you find out? That's like insider trading. 100%. Because I noticed every time, this is before I had a job in this band, but mm -hmm. the times when I was looking for a job to play, every time I found about a gig I wanted, mm -hmm. it was already basically filled. Exactly. Because you know? by the time it gets public, you, you're you not privy. Yeah, exactly. Once auditions are being held, yeah. the spot's already been filled. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so I was like, wait a minute, how did you find out? I was like, I will never, ever tell my source, never. I, he asked me not to say anything, I'm not gonna say anything, but I do know, so get my foot in the door. So he told Jeremy, hey, you know, my friend from Kentucky is, is interested in an audition. Jeremy's response was the same. It's like, how'd he find out? We're not giving him an audition until he tells us who told him. I was like, dude, I'm not, I'm not falling on the sword. No gig is worth like my integrity and you know, my loyalty to the friend who told me not to tell anybody. It's like, I'm not doing it. And uh, months went by, they were still holding on to that. They're like, we're not, not giving you an audition until you tell us. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not even guaranteed to get this game. Months went by and that was the sticking point? Um, well, that and the fact that they were also recording an American Capitalist. Mm. So they weren't really trying to get a bass player so until- So who played bass on the record? I think Jason and Kevin, Kevin Cherko. Gotcha. Cherko for sure. Um, a little bit of Jason too, I think. I don't know. That was gotcha. before me. It's before, okay. Yeah, before I cared. <laughs> I was still slinging drinks back in Vegas. I had other priorities, getting tourists drunk. Yeah. Um, so it ended up, uh, I had actually, May came around. I was like, I've been like trying to get this gig for the last five months. Surely it's been filled by now. I had given up hope. Uh, I was working at the Cosmopolitan in Vegas, making good money. And I got to the point where I was like, you know, maybe this whole music thing is not going to work out. I had other ideas of opening up a small like beachfront bar in Belize with a small six or eight room hotel and doing that. And I was like, you know, if I work hard in Vegas, I can put that money aside and get X amount of dollars, knowing I can get X amount of dollars and move on to something concrete. Music, you never know when it's gonna happen, if it's gonna happen at all. And I'd pretty much done everything that I wanted to do, you know, regional touring, that kind of thing, and other bands. Well, that's actually, I wanna want talk about that real, mm -hmm. real quick before we kind of get into that. Yeah. So, what, what was your background as a musician before Five Musically, um, my first band I started back in Kentucky, I was literally the guy that two weeks after he uh, got his first bass, wanted to start a band, so. How, how old are we talking? 15. Wow. 15 is when I got my first bass. It all started off, um, I was looking to play guitar. Actually, I wanted to play bass, but I didn't really know I wanted to play bass. The, it goes back to the moment I saw Gene Simmons at about the, uh, the age of three or four on a show called 321 Contact. I saw him and I was like, whatever he's doing, that's what I want to By do. By the way, we have to, just right now, we have to take a little second to thank yes. Gene Simmons, Sting, Lemmy, you know, cool guys. Nikki Six. And also, uh, what am I forgetting? The Beatles, fucking. Uh, Paul McCartney. <laughs> Paul McCartney. <laughs> Jesus Christ, how am I going to forget that A one? little guy named Paul McCartney. Exactly. Yeah. We, we got to thank these cool motherfuckers. Mm -hmm for making people want to pick up the bass, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, Gene is... Simmons was it for me. And then like, I remember growing up as a kid, I didn't realize that I was listening to the bass parts, but Motley the Crew, Shout Out the Devil, uh, Too Fast for Love, I was focusing in on the bass parts without knowing that's actually what I was listening yeah. to. So even before I knew what was going on, I was kind of being directed towards that. Um, 
yeah, I got my first guitar from my my uncle, Uncle Frank. He uh, he's like, hey, I heard you want to play. You know, I'll give you this red guitar. I don't remember what it was, but you know, if you like it, then you can have it, and you know, start practicing. I think I messed with it for maybe a week or two, and I was like, ah, like I want to do this, but something's not resonating with this instrument for me. And I had a friend down the street, uh, his older brother had a bass guitar with like an old orange amp, like the padding and everything on there. And I plugged it in, turned it on, hit that first note. I was like, oh, this this resonated within the soul. You like feel that's it. the sound that I've been looking for. You feel it a little different with 100%. the bass, right? hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I always say even now, you don't hear bass, you feel bass. Yeah. You know, I'm, I want to shake the entire room. And you know, it's one of those things you don't really hear until it's not there. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. This sounds thin. So I like to. <laughs> that happened to me the other night. I went to the, the solo for Zombie <laughs> mm-hmm. and Kyle's something went out and I went into it and I was like, and I was like, why does this not sound good? <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. where did it go? Kyle had dropped out. Dude, yeah. you need so, it. Yeah, I mean, you, you definitely notice when it's gone. So I uh, I picked up the bass and from then on, it was it was a love affair. You know, I, I literally spent hours upon hours in my room. Uh, my 11th grade year is when I really started like having a band at home. And I remember I would walk to school go to the convenience store over there i would put one quarter in a pinball machine called funhouse i would be done playing that four hours later because on I was, one quarter on one quarter I was, on pinball yeah pinball you could have got rich maybe you missed your calling <laughs> i did i think <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i would literally and i would leave credits on there and just like i don't want to play anymore i got to go to home ec class which is the only class i went to in 11th grade because it was all girls and me so I got to go flirt, and then right after that, I went back home, had band practice. Now, are we my, talking full head of hair, Chris Kale? It was slowly, I mean, it was thin at okay. that point. It All wasn't, right. yeah, I never really was blessed with great hair <laughs> until I started growing it on my chin, and then it's 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 been different ever since. Um, yeah, I was I was, I was was fighting that, like I wanted it, but uh, yeah, just, I was that guy that was always looking in the mirror, making sure it was okay, but it was never okay. <laughs> I gotta see some pictures, all right? I, I've got a, a couple that I'll show you for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, but I would go to home ec, hang out with the girls, flirt, and then go uh, do band practice for three or four hours before my parents got home and act like I'd been at school all day. <laughs> so if, if someone follows you, especially on, on, on Twitter, mm-hmm. you are very vocal about supporting extreme metal bands. Oh, it yeah. seems like that's your bread and butter as far as your taste is that the style of music you were playing back then not as much i mean growing up i always played stuff along the lines of like pantera uh nothing face was a big influence Dude, machine head face. that kind Groo- of stuff like groovy kind of catchy metal. yeah exactly <clears throat> yeah um and like my whole thing with me talking about the bands i love is you're wearing a metallica shirt right now i would not have heard of the misfits were it not for Metallica wearing Misfit shirts on stage. So one of the things I wanted to do when I joined Death Punch was wear shirts of bands that I loved on stage and people like me with Metallica and the Misfits would see those shirts and then seek that that music out as mm-hmm. well. Um, the I, endorsement, man, it, it matters so much. I mean, I don't know if you did this, mm-hmm. is back in the day in the hardcore scene, what bands i like they would put a thanks list oh yeah and then i would go and then find the bands in the thanks list or or actually this one band called uh, i think they're called Fleshhold or whatever the hell they were called mm-hmm. they put an actual influences Ooh, nice. section of their album uh-huh. and so i found 
you know, death and atheist mm -hmm. and cynic and all this stuff from there. Because it, when you find a really good band, you're like, oh, where did they get their stuff from? You kind of just go down the rabbit yeah. hole. Yeah, that's cool that they would put the influences rather than just thinking bands, like listing what actually influenced well, them. Well, in a way, that is its own form of thanks list. That is true, right? yeah. It's saying, thank you to all these people that helped. Oh, by the way, thank you for these bands for the inspiration. Yeah. Which I think is is pretty cool. Obviously, now everyone tries to lie. Like, <laughs> what's that guy from Greta Van Fleet? Like, nah, man, I just listened to Aerosmith. Yeah, <laughs> Led who? <laughs> man, we don't unleaded. We that's what we take in the in the bus, man. Unleaded yeah. gas. I re, I was way into Robert Plant's solo material, but I've never heard of anything before him. <laughs> <laughs> Alison Krauss. That's my that's my biggest yeah. influence. <laughs> I saw I saw those guys a little while ago, and uh, I was on the bus, heard the voice. I was like, I'm gonna go check this out. And yeah, I mean, I get Yo, I'm it. not hating on them. I'm actually, it. I'm actually not hating on Greta Van Fleet. Uh -huh. I actually think they're a fascinating, almost experiment. Mm -hmm. In that, on its face, there, there's a lot. Like the originality is not present, but the songs are so good and mm -hmm. the skill level is so good. It made me think, maybe originality isn't that important. Yeah, maybe just having good songs and being great at what you do is more important than being. The new, I don't know. It made me kind of almost reframe my, See, the way. While, while Greta Van Fleek was happening, I was focused on nails. So I don't even, I'm not even sure. Nails. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, so the bands you were playing when, kind mm -hmm. of, let's get back to what we were talking about. Yes. Uh, the bands you were playing with were more in the machine head, nothing mm -hmm. face kind of groovy stuff. So, exactly. So but more in line with a five finger death punch down Exactly. The line. Yeah. Yeah. Pantera. Like, honestly, when I first heard, um, white zombie dude uh, that was kind of the formative years for me in my writing and also the first time i really heard james hetfield sing i was like i was listening to stuff that i could not sing before the way, and then i heard hetfield and i was like that's i could do that were you lead singing in your bands yes oh yeah singing and playing bass which really is what got me the gig with death punch is that they were looking for somebody that could do the backgrounds with ivan and kind of you know fill that sound out and and kind of go from there and ivan has been great as far as letting me flex my own vocal muscles particularly live um you know when we're doing these long three-month tours uh and you know three four shows in a row just out there crushing the, the schedule it's it's nice as far as i can tell for ivan to have somebody that's confident in their vocal ability and can kind of you know we can feed off each other i always like to say that I, i've always wanted to be his um oh jerry cantrell to his lane staley yeah. you know uh well i would never put myself in that category but going into it that's kind of what i was hoping would end up happening well it gives bands flexibility yeah exactly and ivan um came up to me on the last tour and he's like hey man i want to do something special what do you think about singing uh all the verses of got your six and i was like yeah please let's get up there so it was like kind of the jason newstead moment of doing yeah. uh creeping death yeah you know it was kind of along those lines so uh, it felt good and you know anybody who's seen this live knows that ivan and i go back and forth a lot i i like the idea and being able to to kind of support him as the main front man and let him do his thing that he's incredible at i've never seen anybody be able to to work not only a small room but these huge arenas and connect with everybody out there the way that ivan does uh he's uniquely gifted oh yeah i don't yeah respect. i the first time that i saw death punch i didn't really get it until i saw him live and i saw ivan i was like okay i understand it now and that was the first time that 
I actually went with Saul, my uh, friend from high school that was working for uh, Death Punch. That was the first time that it all really connected to me. I was like, okay, now I see what they're doing now that I had the chance to see it live. Well, I think what he does is, I think he makes the people at the show, he, you know, in a sense, it's almost the, the not the opposite of empathy, but a way he essentially becomes their avatar. Oh yeah. In a, you mm-hmm. know, like where he brings them in and says, I feel like you feel. Oh yeah, 100%. and then they feel like he feels, and it's this. It's this very interesting thing, and I think it speaks to the nature of of the the working class mm-hmm. audience oh, yeah. of of the band. And I think he's speaking to that that life experience and expresses that in a way. And for whatever, and it's that special thing where, like you said, a lot of people just they don't get it. Mm-hmm. And then you go and you're like, okay, I get it. I think a lot of people actually they just don't want to get it. <laughs> they, they get it. They don't say that they get it though. Well, no, I think I think they they refuse to. I don't know. There's a lot of elitism mm-hmm. in in metal. Oh yeah, I mean, the hell, like, I've I've always thought about like the smack talking and whatnot online as to what me and my friends would have been doing one-on-one yeah. back in the day. But now you get a, a, a circle of people doing the same thing that I was doing you know, 20, 30 years ago amongst friends, and now it's all over the place, and you have this huge network of, of shit talkers, which I 100% would have been in <laughs> had I had access to uh, anything other than a dial-up back then, you know? Um, so I get it, too. I mean, I'm, me and Jeremy, we talk smack on the bus the whole time amongst friends, but it's, it's one of those things where I don't like putting, personally, I would rather lift up the things that I do enjoy rather than tearing down things that I don't understand or, or that I don't yeah. enjoy. Well, we're, just I, I think we're in a very unique era. This is the first time the last 20 years or so is the first time everyone has had a voice. Oh yeah. And we're finding out what, the, what that voice was <laughs> yeah, thinking. The we're whole finding time. out what everyone thinks. Fuck now. this motherfucker. <laughs> Fuck different strokes. I hate that motherfucker. I don't think anyone's ever said that. My point is, it don't matter how good something is, someone out there hates it. I got you. That's true. And they want to let people yeah. know. But um, when did you move to Las Vegas? I moved to Vegas in 2002. And what prompted that? Just, why, and why Vegas? Um, like I, Originally, the intent was to move to L.A. because I wanted to do music. I was in Kentucky. I was kind of like the big fish in the small pond back there. Uh, bands had done well, doing regional touring. Um, I was always the guy carrying the metal flag Any back bands, in that area. So you, you keep saying bands, but there's no, you're not like name dropping your not bands. Not really, because it's like, you know. It's, Can it's, we find this stuff? Is it out there? It's not I, really. Not really, because it was all back before Spotify and all that stuff, and gotcha. nothing's really. Um, That's true. Before 2002, it's like a black hole. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know? Of demo tapes and seven yeah, inches. Yeah, and got, talk, contact one of the, uh, fanzines. the fanzines, and they got they got it back there, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so 2002, that's kind of, that's a long time ago at this point. Yeah, right? and then like once I got to Vegas, I was doing, there was a band called The Utmost that I played with then. Um, and I was kind of like the the scary guy within a boy band. <laughs> it was like, so much fun. Corky Gainsford, who was the drummer for uh, Otherwise. So they literally were a boy band. It was like a, a, a pop punk thing, which okay. I love, Green Day. Yeah. And it was like Green Day before, uh, what was the the big political album they had? American Idiot. Yeah, it was, it was like... Green Day before less American rock Day. opera, more straightforward. Yeah, exactly. Back when Billy Joel was writing about, uh, or Billy Joe, I should say, uh, back when he was writing about getting his heart broke. Yeah, that's what the vocals of this guy was of this band was doing, and had a, a unique kind of 
great songwriting ability, very influenced with, you know, the greats like the Beatles, uh, Nirvana, Green Day, and I loved his stuff. Like, even today, uh, aside from Death Punch, you know, one of the, my favorite songwriters that I've, I've ever worked with, the guy was really good, a guy named Don Fayaro back in, in Vegas. Um, but it was just a lot of fun for me in the presentation of things as well because Don's a pretty guy, Corky's a pretty guy, and then you got me with like a dreadlock beard, and I you had- You had that back then? Um, towards the end of that, yeah, I had just started kind of doing it back then. I had like the you know the Doug Dynasty kind of beard at first, yeah. and then it kind of transitioned into the dreadlocks. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where it originated was way back then. And uh, yeah, I had like this this Carrie King esque uh, wristband with huge spikes on it that I had some guy from Cirque du Soleil make for me and stuff. You don't see that too often in punk rock. The the the, the black metal spiked wristband, and that was the whole thing. I was like the metal guy within this like pretty pop punk band basically and how long did so that last fun. um it was a few years and then we started fighting about uh money that wasn't coming in and i was like well, who gives a damn about percentages when there's a percentage of shit coming in right now you know and that's what broke up the band as we were trying to figure out you know percentages potentially on down the road and i was like this which i i, I would say though those aren't the worst conversations to have because mm -hmm. yeah it's better to have them just in case because mm -hmm. then if it actually happens and then someone makes a mistake and did this when they shouldn't have. They're like, God damn it, I should have <laughs> did this. I, I get that too. But yeah, we we definitely let that get to us. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it was, yeah, it just ended up not working out. I, I would love to go back and like revisit that someday because it was so much fun live. So was that the last kind of major band before? Yeah, before yeah we did some dates. Um. We would tour like California. Don was from the Seattle area. So we'd go up there uh, into Phoenix, Utah, that kind of whole whole circuit thing yeah. uh, opened up for um oh there's a house of blues in vegas they do a st patrick's day show every year there i can't think who it is it's the guy that used to be in um fast way i can't think of the the, the irish punk band he's in now oh you're talking about the dropkick murphys it wasn't the dropkick murphys it was another one the, it'll uh, come to me later i'm sure right. you guys can can google it flogging molly that's it See? Yes, yeah, see? That's just off the top there's of the There's only two, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we opened up for them, did some shows with those guys, and then it kind of fizzled from there. So it's, I think it's kind of interesting, now that I'm, I'm almost putting it together right mm -hmm. now, where you're, you and my careers actually have some parallels. Okay. Because essentially, I was in New Jersey. I moved to LA, but later, I was 32, 33 when I moved mm -hmm. to LA. But also, I, w I was bartending. Okay, yeah. <laughs> And oh, yeah, you and, worked at uh, Duff's. Duff's. Yeah, I that's at Duff's right. in Brooklyn. And yeah. then when I moved to LA, I was doing festivals. I did like Coachella, okay. FYF Festival, ton Coachella. of stuff. Yo, dude, I did Coachella four years ago. Did in you row. ever wear uh, daisies in your hair? Or one of those? Uh, please tell me how, like, a, in a, my hair? a flower. In well, my hair? Wherever. <laughs> <laughs> no. Perhaps a, a, a bracelet fashion from daisies? Well, sometimes when you would when you'd work like a, a rave festival, they would do this thing with your hands where they would, like, make a, uh, make a thing with your hand and then give you a wristband, like a piece of flair. Uh -huh. There's, like, a whole... Actually, I would say this working raves, the <laughs> EDM people, some of the nicest people. Oh, of course, like, yeah. Like, probably... Because when you work bartending you know this mm -hmm. you do different kinds of shows you get to uh get a little bit of an insight into different subcultures you mm -hmm. get oh here's how a hip-hop crowd is uh -huh. here how a country crowd is here here how you you get everything and it's 
It's very fascinating. I have to agree that when I was at the Cosmopolitan, the EDC crowd that came in was one of my favorite weekends ever. Dude, they're all on drugs. They're mm -hmm. happy. They tip well. All, all most beautiful. Yes, and yes. they're the best looking crowd. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's a lot of uh, yoga, I think, going on. And maybe just the dancing is good for the abs. Exactly, yeah. I don't and know the dehydration on the abs, too. That's right. You know, just bouncy 20-year-old <laughs> booties. Mm -hmm. It's lovely. Oh. But no, but, but, uh, but... Hold on. Let's reflect on the good old days a little okay. while longer. Yes. Moment of silence for the for the twenty year old. <laughs> We're old. Yeah. <laughs> but um, oh damn. But 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 no. I, it's just interesting to see the the parallel and one of the things you said before mm -hmm. about almost thinking that music was maybe not going to work out, mm -hmm. and that's how I almost felt doing this show and writing. Mm -hmm. and I was happy to do music, but it almost the more I was working on stuff, I just didn't put my eggs in that basket i almost rather was like i just like doing it for fun mm -hmm. that's what i'll take because i kind of moved to la to do to try out the hired gun thing and i found oh, yeah. out i really didn't like it that much yeah and so i was like all right i'll just do things i enjoy mm -hmm. with people that i like exactly and then things kind of ended up how mm -hmm. you know when i'm at the beginning of it who knows how it's going to yeah. turn it, out it's one of those things when you stop doing what you think you're supposed to be doing and get back to doing what you love that's when the doors open up. Yeah. Yeah. I took one last chance with Death Punch. I had my stuff on Craigslist. I, like I your gear? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was done. I was going to take that money and put it into the account and start working towards that hotel Belize. beach bar thing. Yeah. Where's Belize? Belize is off the coast of like It's like around Honduras and whatnot. And Belize you and Honduras. Been there? Oh, yeah. Uh, a place called Ambridge's Key specifically. I loved it. It was uh, super laid back. Diving community. I'm a scuba diver. Is it as Spanish well. or Portuguese? Uh, they actually um, are... Uh, English speaking there. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it makes sense as far as like taking a business down there as well. Spanish, yes, but uh, I think the main language in Belize, from what I understand, is uh, English. Now, now that you're a successful rock musician, I mean, <laughs> you could still do the Belize dream. Yeah, buddy. but I mean, at this point, like, <laughs> do I want to work that hard? You know? I don't know. I don't know what people listen. People yeah. start making money. They set up businesses mm -hmm. and open car washes. Yeah, like, like I mean, Walter White and stuff. Learning from a business master like Zoltan Bathory. Yeah, I've learned to make the money work for you rather than you work for the money. Gotcha. So that's what I'm working on now. Understood. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I am under the tutelage of, of the great Zoltan. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, he has not taught me. I, I don't have any money yet. Once I get some, he can yeah, tell me. I, I don't have any money yet either. So it's still, you know. <laughs> It's still out there. I'm paycheck to paycheck still. Right on. So what was the audition process like? Uh, the audition process was um, they finally had been, I think they auditioned about nine or ten people. And wasn't, they hadn't really found that person that they were looking for. And Jeremy finally broke down. was like, Saul, like, who's who's your buddy from Kentucky again? Let's give him, let's give him a shot. So Jeremy um, messaged me, I think on like a Tuesday or something. He's like, hey, man, are you available Friday or Saturday to come out and do auditions for the band? And me, in my head, I automatically thought, well, if I go Saturday, that gives me a whole nother day to rehearse. So I'll wait till Saturday. That way they've got whatever junk's coming in on Friday and I'll come in while I'm on Saturday, you know. Um, so that week I gave away all my shifts. I was bartending at the Cosmopolitan, gave away every single shift. I had to play three songs in the audition. So I spent 10 hours a day for the from Tuesday through Saturday morning, basically, 
uh, going over those three songs. Three songs. Three songs. Hours. Yeah, every day. I had been fairly close before, or so I thought, in other auditions. Systematic was one of the bands. They actually went out with uh, Metallica. I know Systematic. Ago. Yeah, and I, I, I thought I had that. And then Johnny Chow, another bearded bassist, Stole it, Johnny. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> Systematic didn't do that much, so don't feel super. No, but I, I love that first record. Yeah. I was super excited. Did Newstead have something to do with that, or, or I know is... it was Metallica something, but I'm not sure what the, what the connection was. Yeah, or was it Ulrich? Someone like signed them. I feel from like Metallica. it was Ulrich actually. Maybe it was Ulrich. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, I thought I had that one, and then uh, it, it didn't get it. Johnny got that one. Johnny's a friend of mine now, so I could talk shit. Shout out to Johnny Chow. Uh, yep, Mr. Stone Sour. Love you guys. Um. Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Hey you, do you have any plans this year? Ha! <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Yes, yeah, so I, I thought I almost had it then, and it kind of got taken away. Uh, it just didn't happen. So this time, going into this audition, I was like, I'm doing everything within my power to make sure I've got it completely nailed down. I'm not going to go in there and mess this up and have it be on me. It's going to be something that they don't want that, you know, whatever, something that's not there that I don't have or whatever. I was like, it's not going to be on me. It's going to be on them for not, not giving me the job. So, um, I knew I was going to be doing background vocals in the audition. So I was getting, getting that stuff ready as well. I'm very comfortable in the background vocal position. And I went in the day of the audition and everybody was there except for Ivan. Ivan had decided that he was going to kind of put it in the hands of the musicians. If they found a musician that they liked, then he would meet with them after and kind of give the final seal of approval. So I walked in knowing I had to do background vocals without main vocals there. And I was like, that throws you off. Oh yeah. That's when I first got nervous. I was like, have I done enough? and familiar enough to be able to jump in and do background parts without the lead guiding me. And I was like, hold on, you just spent 10 hours a day on this. Relax. If you don't know it by now, you don't know it. So I went up there and I think they wanted to do Way of the Fist first. 
and way of the fist is as fairly a fast one. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of left hand, a lot of right hand. And I was like, I was like, let's do that one second. You know, give me a second to warm up. By the way, you know, I was a backup for Jason, so I learned like oh, fifteen yeah. songs, and oh, that yeah. song is that's a that's a right hand runner. I, I keep waiting for Jason to slip up so we can get you in there, man. Listen, I will. That dude's too good. <laughs> the fact that he still even thinks I can fill him for him, like that dude's he's on he's on some crap or something. Because he keeps getting better. Former, he keeps getting addict. better. Yeah. <laughs> he keeps getting better. And then making the solos harder, so I'm like, oh my god, yeah. So, some of the stuff he plays, like, oh yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I need to, I need to, I need to be back here ten hours a day yeah. just in case he turns the <laughs> ankle. Instead, you're just taking him back here talking to the bass player. Listen, my, the, my talking <laughs> skills great guitar, you know, not so yeah. much. <laughs> That's why I play bass. <laughs> great talking skills. Nobody cares as long as I can swing the beard for the you know, the the art of death punch and do my middle finger on my pointing during while I'm playing. That's all anybody cares about. Fuck. Mean mugging and beard banging. <laughs> By the way, you just—that's the new T-shirt. Mean mugging and beard, beard banging. <laughs> that might be it, actually. Yeah, I like you your, I like your marketing ideas. There we Listen, go. Listen, brother. <laughs> um, so yeah, I went in there and I ended up doing "No One Gets Left Behind" first because it's slower, Good uh, not as involved, left hand or right hand. Good stomp, and I stepped up and did belted out the "No One Gets Left Behind," and Jeremy, Jason, and Zoltan all kind of looked at each other. And I didn't see it, but they were like, if this guy's not a complete fuck up, we we hear our guy. This is the one. Yeah. So, um, and again, going back to my own uh, intelligence and uh, marketing and savvy into getting into people's heads, I knew that Zoltan was into mixed martial arts. I've trained Muay Thai for 12, 13 years at this point. So purposely, I wore a shirt that said, enjoy Muay Thai knowing that that would be a conversation piece for me and Zoltan. And sure enough, he saw the Muay Thai shirt and he's like, oh, you train Muay Thai? It's like, yeah, you know, I've been training for a little while and we started talking about that. And then they started already talking about like, Jason got into it and was like, what do you what do you like watching on, on TV and whatnot? And he, they were asking because of, you know, what you're going to be watching on the bus to make sure that everybody kind of got along. So I was already getting the, the real feeler questions. Think, you know, they heard me play and then there was a matter of personality and I was getting all that in the very beginning. It was crazy because I walked out of there like, holy fuck, I've got this. Like, I feel great. And I went and told my buddy Saul, I was like, Saul, man, I got this. I got this. He goes, slow down, slow down. Like, I don't want you to see, I don't want to see you get too elevated and have you get crushed. Relax. I was like, no, fuck that. I've got this. I got this. <laughs> and I think that was a Saturday. Monday, Zoltan sent me a an email of a full list of songs and the text of the email was basically, hey, this is what we're playing on the festival run that's coming up. You might want to go ahead and start learning these. But he didn't say I had the gig yet. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, is this the next round of the audition process? Okay, fuck it. I'm gonna go ahead and start learning these. I want to be prepared in case there's a round two and I got to do this. Um, Wednesday got there, still hadn't heard that I had the gig. Um, Zoltan sends me another email. He said, hey, Ivan wants to meet with you on Friday. Uh, we're going to do dinner at P.F. Chang's Friday night. Feel free to bring your girl, and you know we can all meet and chat. I'm like, hold on. He wants to meet, he wants to meet the wife. Now, do I have the gig? Because he still hasn't told me if I have the gig yet. I feel like I have the gig, but I haven't been told. So I get there early on Friday. Uh, Ivan's already there. He's sitting at the booth. My wife and I walk in. I'm talking to Ivan. Still doesn't say that I have the gig. Zoltan and his girlfriend at the time show up. 
and Zoltan sits down, says hi to everybody, and he goes, he looks at me, and he goes, so you know, you know, you got the gig, right? I'm like, oh my god, finally, yes. By the way, you know who also does that? Who's that? Lauren Michaels from oh, yeah? SNL. Okay, ton, ton of times where <laughs> he has people come back, uh-huh. they have the gig, and he just doesn't tell them. Oh yeah. They just have to kind of figure it out through context clues. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I 100%. Until Zoltan told me, you realize you got the gig, right? I was like, oh, yes. Okay, now now I can settle down. Yeah. So I, I just think this is this is fascinating because mm-hmm. you're, at this point, you're a grown-ass man. Oh, yeah. I was 37, I think. Exactly. At so point. at that, actually, ironically, it's how old I am now. Oh, look at you. See, I'm laying the groundwork for you that's now, man. That's what I'm saying, yep. man. I'm, that's what I'm saying, the parallels. Same, same haircut and learning from your elders, man. <laughs> But get, no, get that beard going. No facial hair. Yeah. No. Listen, my 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 beard is deplorable. Okay. It, does not, it doesn't fill in. It just looks coarse and uh-huh. doesn't fit my. I don't know. Gotcha. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. I need to figure something out. I feel boring. I remember the first time I shaved my head. I was like, please God, let this work. <laughs> I was terrified. And then I then I did. I was like, man, I kind of look like mean. This is okay. I like this. Actually, you know, the, I have to credit the guys from Overkill back in the day because they had like beards and shaved, shaved heads. heads and i was like that's the first time i remember seeing that i was like i could do that and that's kind of where that look came from so thank you uh was it the years of decay record i think that's the first time i saw it I'm yeah i so. remember because i toured with overkill 2012 and i don't remember anyone having a shaved no head this would have been a long time maybe guys years that aren't in decay, the band probably. anymore yeah i okay. think so yeah but that was the first time i'd seen that and you yeah. got scotty scott ian yeah carrie king oh yeah yeah rob halford yeah, oh yeah, and it and it and it, and it continued. So no, I, that's I, crazy I, to even think that like you're talking about me and you have this guy, this guy. Like what? That's I'm in the same conversation as that. It's ridiculous to me. Think about that kid that saw Gene Simmons at age four, and then actually met Gene Simmons and has toured with Rob Halford. Has Rob Halford on one of our records singing vocals with us. It's yeah. It's Every close. day I, I I am still 100 percent humbled and completely appreciative of where I'm at now. Yeah. Well, can't lose that. But that's kind of ties into what I want to I want to go, go go next with this mm-hmm. is that I mean, I, I don't know what how you want to figure out the hierarchy of who are the biggest metal bands in the world. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure Five Finger Death Punch is top five. Top ten? Oh, I, mean, I can't say that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't you're, know. You're you're asking for clickbait on blabbermouth. Well, <laughs> Chris I, well, Kale, if I figure Death Punch says yes, we are one of the five <laughs> biggest bands in the world. Yeah, I mean, fuck. I mean, well, honestly, I'm it's, saying isn't it. it like it's Metallica and then everybody else? Well, really? Yes, to a certain degree, I would yeah. say Iron Maiden is as big as Metallica. Yeah, globally, not in the states, um, and of course not record sales. I mm-hmm. think they, Metallica still crushes everywhere, yeah. but, they, but they're a stadium band everywhere else. Mm-hmm. But what, I, what I'm what I'm saying is that from the from just a general life shift, mm-hmm. and also you look at where Five Finger was when you joined, oh, yeah. and where the band is now, and how much it's kind of grown exponentially mm-hmm. in in that time. I just, you know, I mean, is that something that is easy to process? Is that something that I don't know that it has been processed. It's Honestly. still something that, so when you go out mm-hmm. and I see it every day, there's a bunch of fans sitting behind a fence. Mm-hmm. And because me, I'm on the side where I'm like, they're definitely not there for me. 
but maybe I still think that myself. Actually. But that's my point. Yeah. That's that's my point. Do people mm. they think you're being a dick because you're ignoring them? Where you're just like, no, they're not there. Like, do they literally have to call? Chris, come here, come please. Or N- not really, because if I'm paying attention, which I usually am, I see the reaction the moment yes. I come around the you're, corner. You're being aware of of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember the first time that I was aware, aware of that. I had been in Death Punch maybe six months or so. And Jeremy and Jason at that point both had kind of like the same vibe visually. So they were, people were confusing those two all the time. There's a great story when Jeremy was walking to the bus and a fan yells out to Jeremy, Jason, Jason. <laughs> Jeremy goes, ah, oh, fuck off. Walks on the bus, goes up to Jason. It's like, hey, Jason, one of your fans thinks you're a dick. <laughs> Is that why Jason has the red hair now? Just so people would be able to tell, tell him apart? I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I never joined a band thinking I'd be talking about hairstyles in the first place. Listen, we, there's been a lot of hair talk on this, much more than I anticipated. That is true. I mean, I guess just judging from the chin uh, sitting right in front of you, you know, the hair talk is going to be obligatory in this interview. It's going to come up. Yeah. You know, it's going it's, it's, it's to come up. No, oh, but-, but the first time I became aware of it was they had that same kind of vibe and... We were in Reno on the bus. Jason and I were getting ready to walk off the bus. And Jason's like, you go in front of me. Oh, no, Jason, Jason's like, let me go in front. So Jason walks out. They're like, Jeremy, Jeremy. I walk off. They're like, Chris, Chris. I've been in the band four to six months at that point. Jason goes, motherfucker, you've been in the band four months and they already know who you are. I was like, man, you need to learn how to socially network a little better. Like, that was my thing, like talking about, you know, uh, a bartender in Vegas going into a band who had already had Way of the Fist, you'd already had War is the Answer, which was big. Um, that was the first gold record, as far as I remember. It's now platinum. Yeah. Um, I had to go into this thing thinking of how do I get myself bartender in Vegas with really you know no real history that anybody would know of. Uh, lots of years working behind the scenes, but nothing above you know, the, the public perception. How do I get myself on the same platform that these guys already are? I've always been a great marketer. I was like social networking, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. That's how I'm gonna connect and get myself out there. Um, you, I was, had like, you had like the clothing line that you were doing, right? Yeah, I actually, bef- the whole reason that I met Jeremy in the first place was I had um, a shirt based on the tap out logo that because again i've trained martial arts for for years and i would always see these these dudes wearing the tap out shirts that had never trained a day in their life but wore it as like a tough guy stamp and like you know try to trying to intimidate people by wearing a tap out shirt so i put on t-shirt form what everybody else thought of those dudes wearing those tap out shirts it was douchebag and the logo of the tap out logo and across the top it said it's more than just a t-shirt so I had that going, and Jeremy actually saw the shirt and asked me for it. So I kind of met him, and that's kind of what got my foot in the door on a personal level. He's like, what's your, what's your douchebag guy doing? <laughs> Still getting called that to this day. Thanks, Blabbermouth. <laughs> well, 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 no, but I think all that mm-hmm. stuff is mm-hmm. is fascinating, especially in the realm of being me. Like, for example, I was in a band for a long time. Is that but, God forbid? Yes, mm-hmm. but a lot of times you essentially, like we can think of a hundred bands where a lot of the people in the band are almost anonymous. Oh yeah. Or they are, they'll replace someone and you don't really realize it. Mm-hmm. And when you have a band end and then you realize 
oh, I'm stuck on my own, then you things become a lot more apparent. Like mm-hmm. I became much more involved social media wise mm-hmm. and developing, you know, even doing things like this show and oh, things yeah. like that of my own kind of individual brand as douchey as that sounds. Oh yeah. No, I mean it's it's a it's a reality of yeah. of this whole thing today, you know. Yeah. Um it's it's called the music business for a reason, you know. I, I was I played music for years. Yeah. Now it's, I'm, I'm in the music business, you know. <laughs> different I, I different like, things, right? I like it much better in the music business than just playing music. Uh, <laughs> think things have gotten a whole lot more comfortable and have have afforded a whole lot more opportunities. Um really generated from my years of learning how to hustle. Yeah. Even at a young age, like when I was growing up back in Kentucky, as soon as snow fell, I was the kid with a shovel putting flyers on people's doors. Hey, you want your snow, you know, shoveled, call me. I'll, I'll come over. So even at that young age, I was I was all about getting out there. Can I ask you a question about yeah. that? Do you think good work ethic is preternatural or do you think it's learned? Oh, I kind of feel like that was always in me. But you definitely learn over the years. But did you? What I'm saying is, if you have mm-hmm. good tutelage, a father, an uncle, a grandfather, mm-hmm. mother, whatever, family saying, instilling in good mm-hmm. work ethic, or is it something some people? Because I, I definitely feel a lot of people who, play, you know, lo- people love to brag about working hard. That's mm-hmm. something, especially married. I work hard. <laughs> I got 17 jobs. Uh-huh. I'm going to work before work and after work, and I'm working. I work 17 hours today, right? Yeah. People love right. But a lot of that is, well, yeah, you had people that taught you mm-hmm. the value of it and the discipline, and that was instilled in you at a young age where mm-hmm. before you even fully formed, you understood a methodology of achieving your goals. I can see that, yeah. I, I definitely get that from my dad, actually, right now I think about it, because he made a lot of sacrifices um, working hours at jobs that he didn't necessarily like just to be able to make sure that the family was taken care of. You know, I, I remember him working a couple jobs when I was young, and... I remember at some point realizing that he was doing these jobs that he didn't like, but he was a man and was taking care of the family. And I was like, I 100% appreciate that and and realize that that's what he was doing. But I want to get to a point where I don't have to, you know, work a job just to be able to get by. Yeah, to get by yeah. and, and provide, basically. I wanted some sort of enjoyment, which I'm sure my dad got some enjoyment um, in the stuff that he was doing. He ended up getting a job for Toyota back in uh, Kentucky, and once he got that job, he was real happy and, and, and loved what he was doing. But there were many years, I mean, hell, same with me musically, you know, toiling and toiling and toiling, mm-hmm. uh, hamster wheel kind of stuff, but learning what you didn't want to do to get to where you wanted to be doing the things you were doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I get a lot of that from my dad. I always say that I got my my dad's hard work and his, his work ethic, and I got my mom's kind of musical ear. She always uh, brought us up in music. Uh, she played the, uh, the flute in like high school and in the church and all that stuff. So I was always surrounded by her kind of pushing. She got me into like high school band, junior high band, and uh, my dad all introduced me to like, you know, ACDC. I remember Joan Jett's. Uh, he was real big into James Brown, mm-hmm. real eclectic, kind of all over the place. Right on. Um, but yeah, so that's what I get that from. Kind of going back to Five Finger real quick. Mm-hmm. Now, being on the inside, right, mm-hmm. as opposed to the outside, mm-hmm. and then being there to see where a very successful man get much more, much more successful. Uh, do you now that you kind of see how the sausage is made, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Do you know? 
what the secret sauce, like what what is it about Five Finger that makes this band resonate on a global scale to the level that is, I think, you know, outside of a couple bands, maybe, you know, there's an Avenged Sevenfold out there, right? There's a, a Breaking Benjamin, there's a couple of these bands, are, but mm -hmm. is there something distinct that this band does behind the scenes or maybe in the cultivation of the material, do you think? Or is it just- I mean, it's, it is it's, what, it's hard for me to pinpoint because I am on the inside now. Um, but different things that I see business-wise, I mean, Zoltan is, this whole band is hands-on everything. Yeah. Um, always overlooking stuff. Even Zoltan, when uh, they'll give us a list of tour expenditures, he'll go through, find something real small, and be like, what's this right here? He doesn't give a damn what the expense is. It's about but, attention to detail. Yeah, not even that. But then whoever is submitting those things is like, damn, he's looking at that. Like we really need to be on top on, our, on top of our stuff well, that's because the he's Halen, looking at that. That's stuff. the Van Halen thing about the the brown M and M's. Yep. They said it wasn't about the M and M's. It yep. was about attention to detail. And that, and that's what we do with with business now. You know, looking at little small stuff because if you sweat the small stuff, the bigger stuff will kind of take care of itself. You know, yeah. you, if you're, if you have people looking over your stuff, which you do in this industry, you're, you're paying everybody for everything in this thing. Um, you know, it's keeping people accountable. So uh, always doing that hands on, you know, we have this, this, this kind of. What about music, like musically, not just mm -hmm. cause, because from the way you're saying it, it's that, well, there can be 10 bands that are good, mm -hmm. but it's the, are you saying that it is oh, the business no. itself that makes something move forward or connect more? Some of the business decisions, um, like like touring with bands like Shinedown, you know, yeah. uh, we kind of got away from- The metal, the more metal heavier yeah. stuff. Yeah. And then, and realizing that if you bring a package out on the road that everybody's on the radio, then the, the appeal to the mass market is gonna be even bigger, you know? Yeah, that's and, been proven. And going out with us, Shine down. Um, we've gone out with Papa Roach. You know, Bad Wolves. They, you know, they're doing very well at radio. I hear that band really bringing them you know, out. They, I think. I, I've heard that they have a cover of something. No, hopefully, a, hopefully they're going to start working it all out. All original. We <laughs> did it ourselves. Uh, uh, but yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's smart stuff like that. You know, little small stuff, and then just at the core of things, I think that we are still kind of that everyday kind of guy. You know, like me. Uh, all of us were, we were fans of metal before Death Punch, and we're going to be fans of metal long after Death Punch. Yeah. You know, uh, we we realized that the fans are important. We connect with them not only, and you were talking about social networking. We're one of the first bands from, you know, that in, that had to deal with the social networking stuff too, and I think the connection is even closer because of well, you guys are pretty out. Like I said, because I know Ivan's not on social media, mm -hmm. but outside of him, everyone's pretty. Like you guys talk with fans, you're mm -hmm. available in a way. I oh think. yeah, and just that that right there has been a direct connection to the fans that you know, say somebody like Van Halen or or Mont the Crew back in the day didn't necessarily have, yeah. um, and I think that's helped us a lot, particularly with you know the connection with the military guys and gals out there. Um, you know, Ivan would always forever ago ask who has served or is currently serving in the military and all these hands would go up and I'm like, there's, there's no way there's that many people out there in the military. It, it, it can't be. And then we did, um, the first kind of like a military tour that we did when I was in the band, we went to Kuwait and just the amount of people that were there and the level of I think excitement. I saw a video of, of that. 
I think that one was actually uh, Iraq before I joined the band. Gotcha, gotcha. Was that the Bad Company video, maybe? I I believe so. Okay, I saw, but I think I actually even saw some footage of Mm -hmm. you guys just playing. Probably. Yeah, but I mean, just like the level of enthusiasm when, when I saw firsthand how many people were showing up. I think the first time I realized the influence of Death Punch on the military, I saw one tank with its turret pointed this way, the other one with its um, turret faced that way. One said five finger, the other one said death punch. I was like, by God, like, I think that's kind of resonating with, with the military. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no doubt. Um, yeah. No, but um, I don't know. I, th- I think just like I said, now I get to talk to Zoltan mm-hmm. and get, see the input he gives as far mm-hmm. as like what battle should do or the particular design oh, or yeah. all right we kind of want to gear things and i've just noticed he's seeing things mm-hmm. at a level even i've never thought about oh yeah like i always say i was like listen i know how to be in a mid-level metal band mm-hmm. but i don't necessarily <laughs> know how to be in a platinum selling band and right. actually one thing actually there's a point i wanted to make mm-hmm. tell what you said before that I, I love about you guys is that you still a self-describe as a metal band because mm-hmm. you've seen that thing right when bands get to a certain point like well we're a we're a hard rock hard band. Hard rock, no. Yeah. <laughs> we have a song called Burn, Motherfucker. We're not a hard rock band. <laughs> well, I, but, I, but I think that is also mm-hmm. a key to this success is that it gives it a little bit more snarl. Gives it a mm-hmm. little bit more, like, badassery, I guess. No, I'm saying, but people, <laughs> yeah. it makes people dig in a little more. Because yeah. there's a ton of bands that sing not offensive, catchy songs on the radio, mm-hmm. right? That are good bands. Yeah. But... Do you really? Want, are you on their team? Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's true. Are you pa- are you, you a part of that? Yeah. Do you, do you have like? I always like to to bring it back to Kiss. Kiss had four very different members that collectively, as a fan, you could identify with one of those four. You know, you liked the whole band, but there was always that one that you liked more yeah. than the others. Like Jason was always a um, an Ace Frehley guy. Me, I was Gene Simmons. Um, I think. I think Jeremy was a, a Paul guy. I know that going back and listening to things, I was always a Gene Simmons guy, but I always preferred Paul's songs. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> like I, I kind of I did both, you know. Um, but they they had those those individual identities, four very distinct personalities that made up the cohesive unit of Kiss. Yeah. And I think, not that I would ever put ourselves in that cl- same uh, category as Kiss, because those guys are beyond reproach for me as a fan. Um, but kind of along those same lines, Death Punch has five very different personalities able to kind of let the fans gravitate towards whichever their favorite member would yeah. ever be, you know? Um, and I, I think that's another thing that makes us work is that we are all relatable and all different within the, cohesi- the cohesion of the Five Finger Death Punch moniker so to speak right you know? on right on so i'm not gonna keep you too much longer thank you so much for doing this by the way you know you know only reason you're doing this because you got to go sound check don't act like you're running me out of here you got to work son well one <laughs> i value your time i know how busy you are Dude, i play bass i got nothing but time really is that true <laughs> I, now i don't feel bad well first of all we actually yesterday we got on stage at like five uh-huh. or something so Here's the thing. Do I have any text? Let me let me, let me check the yeah, text. Yeah, I'm gonna text mine too no, real quick. No text. But I got something from Jason Hook here. What does what does this say? 
But keep keep in mind, we are oh a meet and greet. Yeah, I do have a meet and greet in twenty in thirteen minutes. So but yes, guess you're what? Right. We are closing <laughs> in almost an hour, which is all I wanted you for. Believe it or not, and we, we we talk and it just it flies by, right? I know. This could be part two coming up. Listen, we will definitely do a part yeah. two. But <laughs> so when you were on Josta's show, mm-hmm. some how somehow my name came up, and it was. Chris Kale for president. Yes. And then you name dropped me of as course. being your 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 vice president. Mm-hmm. And now, A, I, this is a wonderful compliment. Mm-hmm. First off, coming from you. Because I, I think, think you and I have actually talked about this personally. Well, no, we talked about it. Way back on like Trespass America. Yeah. No, 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 no. This was after the fact. We talked about it after the fact. Okay. Like, I was like, oh, you were fucking talking about that. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, one, I think it. it it goes to the fact that um, you you and I both um, I, are I like exceedingly right, the, reasonable. The, 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 the fans can't see this right now, but you 100% adopted the Obama face <laughs> right there when you was getting ready to go into this. Yeah, <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> well, one of the things I have in common with Obama uh-huh. is thinking before I speak. You know, when he takes these pauses, he'll be like, oh, what's going on here is uh, we have a, a, a policy. And when you're you're talking about immigration, you need to uh, think about it. You oh. know, so he's all those pauses is he's thinking about what he's saying. Yes, and I try and be self editing. I'm trying like to think about what I'm going to say before I say it. Uh-huh. Don't just uh, do a word <laughs> vomit, as it were. No, but just to repeat what I said, mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a self congratulatory thing of saying we're we're both exceedingly um, reasonable mm-hmm. as we try to be. Mm-hmm. You know, and and be yeah. ba- balanced. So if you were going to run for office, like what is what is the platform? Is this just being exceedingly reasonable? Well, I think, uh, yeah, <laughs> clearly. Well, I'm not, I'm not even gonna get started on that. Yeah, well, let's. I mean, we don't have to get deep into like, yeah, you know. Um, but no, I think that um, I'm. I've always been a personality guy. I, I'm able to connect with t- like everybody. It doesn't matter, you know. Uh, and and I see a lot of that Big in part you of as politics. well. Yeah, yeah, a likability factor, you know. Yeah. Um, I think for whatever reason, ever since I was in first grade, I remember uh, Miss Tuttle wrote on my report card Chris is a born leader people naturally graduate uh, gravitate towards him even in first grade did you play team sports besides, oh, yeah. what was what was your, your sports? um I played basketball soccer and baseball all right well if there's a basketball court we gotta play do you still play would you play oh, yeah I'm from okay. Kentucky son all right listen I don't know <laughs> some people like me yeah. I didn't play in forever and they had these mm-hmm. basketball courts at the rave and oh I, yeah, and I, and I wanted to. That's all I wanted to do was play, but I had yeah. people there, and I whooped John Berklin's ass real oh, quick. Nice. And then, but I hadn't played in a long time, so uh, my back. But now, well, I mean, do you have the shoes on already? Listen, yep. I, I got, already sporting the Jordans. I got kicks. Yeah, I'm ready see, to go. I got my Vegas Golden Knights Adidas hockey yeah. uh, hockey shoes on right yes, now. You will snap an ankle in half with them things on. That's not a good <laughs> idea. All the Muay Thai I've done, I think the, the ankles are fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. just just strengthen them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, talking about that though, I always liked how you really thought about. Like policy and whatnot, and I think we kind of got along, kind of along the same ideas uh, is as as far as policy goes. From what I could remember, us talking about it forever, and I always thought it would be great to have you kind of, uh, you know, like the um, was, it, the was it Key and Peel? I'll be the wonk. Oh, I'll be be the anger translator. <laughs> well, along those lines, but you're not really the angry guy, though. No, you know, no. Um, but yeah, you'd have the policy, and I'm, I would, I would. You'd be deliver. I yeah. see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get. Yeah. I, I get that. What's funny? I was. Um, do you know who Scott Adams is? Scott Adams. The name sounds so familiar. So he's the guy who created Dilbert. Oh yeah, and I am aware of Dilbert. And he became really famous recently because he predicted that Trump would win. Um, because he's a uh, he studied hypnotism. Okay. And he and he, he talks about it through the lens of 
persuasion. Okay. So I, and I thought, and he predicted a way for it, and I thought it was super fascinating. I bought his book, but he kind of like is on this realm where everything Trump does, he just sees it as he's a genius. Mm-hmm. When he he can say the dumbest thing, and he's playing nine dimension dimension chess, <laughs> and you just don't see. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I really I'm like I think he's onto something, uh-huh. but then it can't be that someone <laughs> everything they do is right. You're right, they exactly. gotta fuck up sometimes. Uh-huh. Like you, even if they're the best. Even LeBron James misses some shots. Right. He's every now and then he has a bad game. So mm-hmm. you can't just call it. So I was I, I I wrote something yesterday and then I got just bombarded by all his fans. They're just Ooh, guys. And, wow. and I just yeah, but, but but the thing is I don't just even if someone's like really shitty to me, mm-hmm. I don't I'm not mean to them. Okay. I just I just sit there and have a conversation. Some yeah. people they just they are committed to the idea that we're against each other. Right. It's now, like, dude, I have a, I have a quick question for you. Yeah. When was the last time that legitimately your idea of anything was changed based on an interaction on social networks? Oh, I think they, I think, cha- here's the way, here's how I described it, mm-hmm. is that, so you'll get in a debate, right? And now it's all about your mentality going to the debate. Most people go into a debate to win. Okay, I yes. don't go into a debate to win. That's good. I go into a debate to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And the truth is how your mind changes, it doesn't change then. Mm-hmm. Is that if you're truly listening to the other person, if they make a good point, when you leave the conversation, you'll actually think about that point. What were you saying again? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you'll you'll think about it. Yeah. If you actually respect this is the but this is mm-hmm. about going into a conversation with with good faith. Yes. Uh. That hey, that someone I disagree with actually will have good points. Gotcha. And then it's not about changing your mind necessarily because I don't think it's black or white. Like, I either think this or I think that. It's that it has given my worldview broader context. Mm-hmm. And I understand that most issues are much more complex okay. than we believe they are. And I think people tend to look at issues as black or white, right? Like, either I'm pro choice or pro life, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. When I, I think about most issues, I just might think that one way is maybe it's 51, 49%, right? Like I can completely see the other side oh, of yeah, it. I see it. And yeah. I think there's it's completely valid that you would think that, but I think this one has slightly more balls in this court. chamber. Yeah, this yes. court or whatever. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know why I put balls, so many balls. Paint balls in the um, chamber, man. But anyway, but but no, it just, it just kind of illuminated to me how difficult and how People just think we're enemies. Like, oh, yeah. Someone's like, you're a leftist. I'm like, word? I'm a leftist? <laughs> I think Tommy was actually talking about that just the other day. That's good to yeah. know. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah. I'm glad I have you here to tell yeah. me what I think. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the beauty of social networking right there. But but no, <laughs> but always coming, you know, just even if someone is upset, I'll just, and if someone's like just not getting off their thing, I'm like, listen, you seem really angry. Just let you know, I hope you have a good night and take care. Thank exactly. you for the conversation. Yeah. And I never get involved in that stuff because it's not about dunking on people on Twitter or like, it's just, yeah, I, I don't get wrapped in Part stuff. of the thing that I found in regards to that too is when people are like the verbal vomit coming after you, they don't expect it to get heard by the person they're talking about. They don't like, think you're a person. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, wait a minute, I didn't know you'd actually come back. That was, okay, cool, man. No, well, I was just saying, I know what you're saying, but I'm here now. I've I watched this too. Oh, by the way, <laughs> I too I, am a fan. By the way, I I tweeted something to Reggie Miller oh. Oh, the oh other my God. day, and and he responded, uh-huh. and yo, all his fans came at me. <laughs> Dude, you a goddamn idiot, bro. You don't know nothing. I'm like, 
And he, I still don't even understand what he, he he said to me. And I was like, but I was one of those things where I was doing that, where uh-huh. I was like, he's not really a person. I didn't even say anything that bad. Yeah. I just, I was just, and I don't really want to get into it. it. But he it. was just like, he came back at me and I was like, oh, Reggie Miller, what's up, man? I love you, uh-huh. man. I love it. Yeah, exactly. I, I've had it happen to me before, too. Like, wait a minute. No, okay, no. I'm just kidding, man. Yeah. I love you. You're my favorite. <laughs> I had your jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, yes, I'm being exceedingly reasonable. Chris Kell, thank you for being on the X Men podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And uh, Coil, Kale, or is Whoa. it Kale Coil? Yo, I just put that together yeah. right now. <laughs> kale and Coil, yeah. Coil and Kale. You can't tell us apart. <laughs> you got my chocolate and my peanut butter. You got your peanut butter and my chocolate. <laughs> Word up. Take care, brother. Thank you. You as well. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime. That's a track entitled Fire in the Hole from Five Finger Death Punch's new album, which is called Injustice for None. And this record just came out this past week, and it's really great. That song, 
is not a single, but I listened to the record and I liked it the most. It almost has, I don't know, like a gothic Judas Priest <laughs> vibe to it. And that guitar solo is absolutely insane. I have to give those guys just a, a huge, just huge thanks for, for supporting Bad Wolves. And I got to give Chris Kale huge thanks for coming on the show. I know how busy these guys are with their, their schedules. I mean, you guys don't know, man, when, uh, when you have a band of that magnitude, I mean, these guys are, are just working all day. They're doing signings. They're doing meet and greets. They are, they're doing press. Um, you know, it's really the bigger the band is, the, the more they work. So um, just shout, shout out to them because none of the success Bad Wolves is, is having would not be possible without them. So please go pick up their record. I just bought it right now. And, you know, it has a chance to go number one. And if a metal band gets the number one spot on the the billboard charts that helps the entire scene so please go out and support heavy metal um also one more thing uh bad wolves in about a week we're gonna be doing our first headline tour which to be honest i i'm actually surprised we're headlining this this early so i'm you know taking it with a grain of salt hopefully it, it goes well but you know i just wanted to just mention that we will be coming around we're gonna be playing all over the country, going to be in New York, going to be in Chicago, Minneapolis, Baltimore, uh, doing some stuff in Texas and down south. So definitely go go over to BadWolvesNation.com. Check out the tour dates. If you see it, uh, please come out. We'll, we're, we have uh, From Ashes to New on the bill, as well as Diamante, who we did this single with. It will also be on the tour. So please come out to the show. It'd be nice to see you guys, especially on a, on a, on a headline show. And, you know, we don't have massive platinum and gold selling bands uh, headlining on top of us, drawing thousands of people. It'd be nice to have a good crowd on our own. So I'm not going to keep you guys any longer. I really appreciate you listening to the show, telling your friends. Um, yeah, the show is growing. I'm seeing the numbers this month. It's moving up. And I've done less shows this month than last month. I think what I might do actually though is put out another episode on monday just so i can at least said i put out four four episodes this month you know despite the delays with the tours and and all that stuff going on so again thank you guys so much for the support keep telling your friends about the x-man show i've got some great great episodes coming up i have uh i actually got zach from shinedown to do an episode i have uh mike mulholland who is from Emure. i have godless who is the the old host from metal sucks and the metal podcast coming up so we have some great shows and you know i'm gonna stop running my mouth because i got some errands to do gonna enjoy being home for the next week thank you guys so much mamba out This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians. Everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now.